I've been seeing more and more people ask for the best laptop to run NixOS. And I did a little looking around. There is a NixOS laptop device list. You can find one on the wiki. You can find them all over the place. You can find websites where people are talking about this sort of stuff. But there isn't like a definitive large reseller that just offers NixOS for a laptop, even though it's been around for like a decade. It's not really a very, I guess, popular, you know, they're not getting requests for it or whatever it might be. But I thought it was funny that before we got to like, this is the common way you run Nix on a laptop. This is the go-to hardware. Before we got that, we got Nix OS on mobile phones. And of all the devices in the world, one of the supported devices is Brent's phone. No way. What? Yes. Yeah, I thought I thought I was missing out because all this giraffing stuff on my lowly little one plus six here. You're just going to leapfrog us. This is one of two officially supported devices. I would imagine probably because one of the developers just happens to have one. Maybe I don't know why they chose it, but I'm tempted. I don't know what the experience is like so far, but bring on the experimentation. Yeah. All right, Brent, you report back. Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello, gentlemen. Coming up on the show today, we're going to see if we can build the indestructible server combining the immutability of NixOS with an impermanence module. The theory goes, can you create a system that can be completely brought right back to its original state? With a simple reboot, even with your files destroyed, your config files all messed up, your web server deleted, whatever, can you just bring it right back? And to put it to the test this week, we're going to give login credentials to a NixOS box that we've set up. We're going to let our live stream log in, break the system with a couple of rules, and then we'll see if we can restore it instantly here on the show. And then we'll round it out with some great boosts and picks and a lot more. So let's say good morning to our friends over at Tailscale. Tailscale is a mesh VPN that's protected by WireGuard. We love it. It'll change your networking game. It creates direct connections between all of your systems protected by WireGuard's noise protocol. And you can get it going in just minutes. Go say good morning and try it out for 100 devices for free at tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged. That's where you got to go to support the show, tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged. And of course, time appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello, Chris. Hello, Hello. Hello. Nice to have all of you there and also those up in quiet listening who don't chime in but are just enjoying that sweet Opus audio. It's nice to have you here. And we have a little bit of show news right off the top. I'm finally making good on a promise that I made to our community two years ago. And it just didn't work out. We wanted to try to get over to Spokane, Washington for a meetup. And I promised and I promised and I couldn't do it. And we finally have figured out a time. So coming up Saturday, September 16th, we're holding a meetup at Iron Goat Brewing in Spokane, Washington. It's our default for now. We will consider other venues. We'd like it to be open to all ages, plenty of t- table space and room for us to have a group of people. We really like the low-key vibes. That's often why we do these at breweries. You know, they're okay with us just kind of showing up with a group of people and taking over a couple of tables and getting some drinks and food. There's no fee generally. A lot of places that are a little swankier, they want you to reserve and pay. And that's just not really our vibe right now. But if you perhaps are listening to this and you're an owner of an establishment in the Spokane area and you want to have some Linux nerds, uh, hit me up, Chris at JupiterBroadcasting.com or boost in. We could always hold it at your facility. But right now, the default is Iron Goat Brewing, Spokane, Washington, September 16th, Saturday at 1 p.m. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. I'm finally making good. Boys, of course, I'd love to have you there, but I know I just dropped this on you like a bomb, but it's, I got to do it. We're going to, I think we're going to take the RV. We haven't made a hundred percent decision there, but I think we'll camp in the area. Oh, fun. We've got a little time, right? It's, um, it's the third week in September and that's about four weeks from now, I think. I think the weather should be pretty nice and mild at that point. School's back in session. So maybe the area is a little less busy in some places. And uh, Iron Goat Brewing looks like a pretty great place. We had a few other good suggestions, but again, I want something so that way, you know, kids can come. Anybody who's interested in this stuff or wants to talk about Linux or anything like that can join us. So details at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Love to have you there. And then not too far after that, 
Your fest is back, buddy. Linux Fest Northwest, October 20th through the 22nd. Yeah, yeah. It's back. And we have the official sponsor price sheet up on the Linux Fest website. We'll link to the PDF right here in the show notes, too. You know, it's a crappy, crappy, crappy advertising market right now, especially for the Linux and really high-end technical niche. It's devastated, the sponsorship opportunities. And, of course, Linux Fest being off for COVID and now coming back out of cadence, it's also tricky for sponsorships. And we had a discussion amongst the team, and we decided the right approach is to really make the community sponsorship opportunities approachable. So if you're in this space and you want to have a nice presence, a good presence, get something seen at Linux Fest Northwest, they have tiers for pretty much every price point. And I mean, I'm talking under a thousand bucks for some of these. And you can get nice expo hall placement, logo on the website, T-shirts for your members. Uh, you get identified as a silver sponsor for the 750 tap package. And they have gold tiers and title tiers and Friday party sponsors. And you can sponsor the Saturday party, which is a great deal. And then, of course, the raffle donation, too. There's an opportunity there, even if you don't want to contribute money. But maybe you've got a cool little gadget. Maybe you've got some swag that you'd like to be involved in the raffle. They have information about that as well. Really looking forward to this. And I think it's a great opportunity for the community to step up and make Linux Fest as good as we want it. It's a real opportunity here to kind of create a new standard. So links in the show notes at linuxunplug.com slash 524. But let's get into our topic today. And to set the stage, we had to get NixOS up and running on Linode, which they do not offer a default image for. And I went shopping, and much like the laptop situation, I wouldn't say there's a standout VPS host that's offering NixOS right now. There's a few that I recognize on here. I've heard their names before. I don't know I'd want to run my business infrastructure on any of these, though. And of course, we prefer to use Linode. Linode does have a guide for this, which we'll have a link to in the show notes. But there's there's a strange gulf in the VPS VM world for supporting NixOS. And I don't know, Wes, you've you've really fallen in love with it. You're way down the rabbit hole now. <laughs> What's your gut tell you? Why why do I not have options on DO and Linode and all the other places to go spin up a quick NixOS VPS? I wonder if there's been sort of a simplification. Like you touched on, there's sort of this matrix you have to choose the right quadrant of like the, you know, the diversity of the, especially the Linux options, as maybe some of these providers have become more cloud-like and focused on, you know, Kubernetes options or serverless or managed databases. I think maybe there's been more configuration space opened up there and they're kind of simplified, still a robust set and lots of stuff, but, you know, maybe there's more interest in having uh, CentOS Stream and Rocky and Alma and less these days on having Arch and NixOS. Now, NixOS and Arch are pretty different, especially in the server context, but terms of sort of niche non-standard use cases and the intersection with people that are able to able and willing to get it going themselves. True. Although doesn't it seem like you could be almost a NixOS first platform where the Nix stuff is an implementation detail and the platform is doing all of the Nix orchestration. And as an end user, you're just getting the end result essentially. Maybe it's a web server, maybe it's not, maybe it's something more headless, serverless. Like to me, it seems like, yeah, you could you could build all these toolings, like all these VPSs have different tooling for deploying. A lot of them have their own scripting and all that kind of stuff. But if you were to build something today, you could actually build it around Nix, right? And and the end user could be sort of unaware. I mean, yeah, that's sort of a separate, you know, there's like the offering to the end user. And then there's like, how do you make it all work yourself? And NixOS is a implementation detail seems, seems like yeah. it could be pretty powerful. But as you say, that might be what you would do today, I think probably need the there's also sort of the you know we've seen it as the, the number of people writing in the number of folks talking about it the general sort of interest in nick seems to be up a lot in the last few years and even more just recently so it might just be too that they're you know we're not yet to the point where there's enough of a push on enough of these places that it that matters plus you know nick's the nick's community being what it is which is just magical uh there's a lot of options from the you know like the Linode guide has you boot up, you know, lets you load an ISO, a custom ISO that boots the Nix installer and just installs that way. But uh, Nix has lots of options like the the Lustrate stuff to be able to take over a host or use the same host to install or there's NixOS Anywhere, which we'll talk a little bit more about today and I've talked about before. So I think it's it's also well served by like, it's just there's a lot of ways to get Nix running. Mm-hmm. That is true. It's sort of like the community has, has built their own way. But you touched on it there, Wes, and Brent, I'm curious on your insights on this it feels like 
Nix is sort of victim of a typical cycle we see in the free software community. And I think maybe in the tech community in general, but it's sort of annoying that everything has to go through the cycle. And I wonder if you agree. So a project, it builds and builds for years. Hardly anyone notices. This happened to Mastodon. Tiny, tiny numbers until Twitter screwed up. And then all of a sudden people realized after a decade that Mastodon was a thing. Right. So it goes through this period where it kind of builds more recognition amongst its hardcore users, its diehards. And then we seem to like cross into this new level where we just spend years debating if something is hype or not and if it has value. And we compare and we spend a lot of this time comparing it to everything else. And then after however long that period takes, which seems to be unique to each individual cycle, sometimes it takes a decade, sometimes it takes a year. Then we kind of seem like maybe then the commercial companies and the hosting companies kind of start to jump on. And then we just have to go through this process, Brent. And it seems like NixOS is maybe on the slower end of that cycle. I wonder if it's because it's such a paradigm shift from what everyone has been used to. I think there's there's part of it to that. You know, the, we, the users need to be ready for it. And if if we're not ready for it or there aren't enough, you know, usability guides or YouTube tutorials or that kind of thing surrounding a project, then the adoption is slowed certainly by that. And if it's a community first distribution, then who's thinking about this stuff, right? The the kind of periphery that makes a project more familiar, more common. Um, that said, once it gets going, like we've seen with Nex in the last couple of years, once it gets going, there's just relatively no stopping it it seems as people jump on and learn more about it and just keep going and going and going so i will be curious to see you know even what the next two years brings for nix and nix os it seems like some pretty bright stuff yeah i think your insight there too is the user ready for it that's one of the big determining factors of how long these cycles take is people have to come along to the utility of it and not everybody's convinced that an immutable or composable system or a reproducible system is even necessary for maybe 80% of the tasks they're doing. And we, you know, over time, as the project gets more capable, as the tooling gets more capable, it fills more and more edge cases. It addresses more and more use cases and it starts to absorb. It goes from like, well, it's only good for maybe 20 to 30% of your use cases to now it's like 80% of your use cases. And we just, that transition just takes time. I, uh, someone clued me into a website that I think is interesting. I think it's kind of a flawed metric, but it's just like a little fascinating to look at your favorite projects in this way. And it's a uh, star dash history.com. It just looks like GitHub star history over time. Uh, that's like a flawed metrics to see how good a project is or how popular it is. But what is fascinating is to at the very least see like the big skips and bumps in some of the projects that uh, you're familiar with. And for us, Chris and Wes, who we kind of keep our you know finger on the pulse of how projects are doing and their popularity and where they are in their development cycles. It's interesting to see occasionally you'll see in a project this just like massive spike and, you know, maybe they got to the Hacker News front page or maybe they came out with a new version that all of a sudden solves the problem for a lot more users or, you know, they made it to some show like maybe Linux Unplugged. And it's an interesting way to look at a project. I think, you know, play around in there and check out some of your favorites and, and you can compare them too, which is kind of fun. But there's some insight there. Uh, and I just wonder sometimes, you know, if you've got a favorite project, even as just a, a one user what can you do to kind of spread the love? And I think there's certainly some stuff you can do. Um, you know, tell friends and family, tell coworkers especially, and uh, get the news out for, for the stuff that is worth sharing to other folks. Linode.com slash unplugged. Head on over there to get $100 in 60-day credit. That's on a new account, and it's a great way to support the show. And you can check out the exciting news. Linode is now part of Akamai. Yeah, the Akamai, but all the tools that we love, the stuff that we just use to build a new NixOS system on Linode, all of the cloud manager, the APIs, the command line client, that stuff that helps you build and deploy is there. But now it's backed by the power of Akamai and their global reach. And they're expanding their services to offer more cloud computing resources and tooling and more locations, giving you more reliable, affordable and scalable solutions 
for users, individuals, small businesses, or even large enterprises. I mean, it's Akamai, and they can really deliver. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, data centers are expanding worldwide. They're going to give you more access to more resources, including some micro data centers. They have all the plans on their website. It's so exciting. But the bottom line is you're going to be able to help grow and serve your customers or your project or your community. So why wait? Go see why we build everything on Linode. Go experience the power of Linode now, Akamai. Go to linode.com slash unplugged. That's where you get the $100 and learn more about how Linode, now Akamai, can help scale your applications from the cloud all the way out to the edge. Yeah, way out there. I think like, you know, Brent is pretty much the edge. Canadian wilderness. Find out more and get that $100 while you support the show at linode.com slash unplugged. Now, as we sometimes do here live on the show, we've got a Linode box that, uh, Wes, you've configured so that folks can play with. But what are we doing today and what the heck did you do to this box? Yeah, it all started out as an Ubuntu, uh, Ubuntu box that Chris had spun up and said, yeah, here, Wes, here's your, uh, here's your Nix host. Have at it. Yep. <laughs> you know, I was like, do you even, I asked him first, like, do you even care what distro I put on this first? Like, no, I don't. I don't even care what you start with. Yeah. And so, you know, if you follow the Linode guide, which is a nice guide and has some stuff, you probably want to take like some kernel, kernel command line options and, and stuff, regardless of how you get Nix on there. And we'll have that linked. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a manual process, which is totally fine, especially like they, they have an option where you can make a Linode image, you know, and that's sort of like a pre-saved image that you can then deploy copies of to scale out or spin up new hosts, uh, you know, as a base Nix OS image that you then further customize. So that's where they're kind of thinking of it. Like, how do you solve this problem moving forward? But with NixOS Anywhere, you really only need, you know, a, a virtual machine that's running Linux that you have, you know, root access to. And you probably want to set things up so it's got, you know, like either you log in as root and that's allowed, and you got all the keys set up, or your, your user has like passwordless sudo and you've got keys set up. But other than that, you write out your NixOS config. You write up your disk partitioning setup. And then you run the NixOS Anywhere script and you just point it at the, you know, whatever the user and SSH host name or IP address is. It's going to go in there. It's going to go figure out if you've got the NixOS installer binary script already present on the system. And if not, it's going to k-exec into a little NixOS installer environment. But it's got a clever script, so it'll also go look at your host system and, like, copy any SSH keys and stuff that you've set up on the host system into the new environment, which is a nice little touch. Uh, and then, of course, you can configure that. You can build a custom k-exec environment if you need to. But what makes it so nice is it just feels like it's it's just one step of the script where it goes in there, SSHs, k-execs, the script just waits for the host to come back online. The host just comes back online, opens SSH, starts listening, the script SSH right back in, and then gets to work. What's especially neat is it uses the uh, Disco tool. And if you've installed NixOS by hand before, you kind of notice, right, you've got your configuration.nix. That's all declarative. You just kind of tell the system what it is, what you want. But you still have to do the disk partitioning stuff. That's all imperative. It's the old school. It's get out fdisk or parted and, you know, manually make your partitions. And it's a step that a human has to do where you have to carefully script it yourself. Disco is an attempt to fix that by bringing your disk configuration into your NixOS configuration. NixOS Anywhere hooks in and uses Disco via Flakes to then go... Once it's got your host up, you're in the KXEC environment, so you know all you can unmount it and format all your drives. You're not relying on that for your OS anymore. Runs Disco to build out your configuration however you want it. Then Disco handles like formatting, partitioning, and then mounting everything. So it's all set up and mounted under the slash mount mount point. And then you just run the regular NixOS install, right? You're like, oh, here's the configuration I told you about. Please go put it on on this mounted file system I've got set up for you. And you're done. And now your Ubuntu box or whatever it was is now a NixOS box and it even has your SSH key. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all it's all configured and then like whatever configuration you applied is is there. Uh, so that provides a really nice way to, you know, not have to fuss too much or even worry about the specifics. I think that's part of the power too, is you even though Linode provides a lot of great options and other cloud providers have similar sorts of setup, they're ever so slightly different. And for the most part, with NixOS anywhere, you don't have to care about that. If it's got SSH and it's running Linux, you're probably good to go. That's so great. And um, so, you know, an immutable OS is probably a pretty clever base for a server OS. You can 
specify exactly how you want the system built. Now with Disco, you can even specify specify via a config file how your disks are laid out. And it'll generate that system for you, and you can rebuild that system at any point. It'll generate the same exact system for you. So that's a pretty good starting spot for a server OS. And I've often wondered if maybe some of the more frequent like issues where somebody gets in and they replace a file in Etsy or they 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 add a user account would an immutable OS always solve those particular problems? And especially if you didn't rebuild, if you just rebooted. And that's where maybe something like an impermanence module for NixOS could come in that would essentially create a completely static system. And I think the way this works, Wes, but you're going to have to tell me if I'm wrong, is the impermanent system is essentially just wiping clean the system every reboot. Is that is that how it works? And so it, when it comes back, it's coming back from a, a predetermined state every single time? Yeah, there's a few things here. So like, impermanence is both an explicit uh, NixOS module that we'll talk about, but it's also kind of like a mindset and an approach to how you want these systems to work. So you get the sort of base immutability where you you know, you know, build a whole system closure, you, you've built like a, a little hermetically sealed predefined system via Nix and the NixOS configuration, but there's still a bunch of stuff that exists outside of Nix on your box, right? Like, you can add users. Maybe your users put a bunch of Docker Compose files in their home directory and started services running up that way, which is a popular way to do things. But that's all that's outside of Nix, which is nice. But it also means if that got deleted, if that hard drive fell off, uh, you know, if you redeployed, that kind of stuff would all be gone. But it's easy to forget about, especially if you've got a box that's, you know, long running, maybe it's running some database stuff or an old legacy system and you're you're trying to keep it up to date, but you don't have everything fully documented. People have set things up. There's often all kinds of little like tiny things you do on the first time, like, oh, you got to get your certificates set up right, or you got to touch the special file, or, oh, you know, like the, the automation got it almost there, but then we got to change this file permission and this one thing to like actually fully get it working. All that stuff just like kind of gets forgotten. And one approach to preventing that, you know, we've seen is just redeploying, right? Like you kind of just you just erase things, you treat them like cattle, you shoot it, it's dead, a new, new host spins up from your configuration and it, everything else is wiped out. But there are still, you know, there are still long-running hosts out there, especially for things like databases, uh, things that need longer uptime, things that don't work in that cloud sort of auto-scaling stateless service model. What about if you just wipe your system at reboot? Like, you kind of take that, like, I can wipe the system and rebuild it to a quicker feedback cycle level. And it's an interesting perspective shift to just think like all your logs, any stuff that you've configured in Etsy password that isn't in your configuration. You know, like there's so many little things that just disappear when you do it this way. And it's it's fun to have to switch things. It's kind of like with a firewall where you, you know, you switch on deny by default. Yes. It can, it can be kind of painful, but that's the secure way to start. And then only allowing what you need. This kind of takes that approach to the state that you're storing on your system where things get wiped unless you explicitly set them up so they don't. It seems like a really bulletproof way to just take a system that's been compromised and just go back in time and go back to a state before they had their files on there, before they had an account, before they had replaced you know, a binary and just reset or a configuration change. So what we thought we would do is put this to the test and we want to release the login information and we've given this user pseudo permission for some reason. And they'll be able to log in. Now, we're asking at least a couple of caveats because there are some limitations. We're asking that you not delete the boot files and the file system partition. The kind of attack scenario I'm thinking of, too, that this really is just a fun experiment, is persistent threats, somebody that wants to use your box to mine some crap cryptocurrency, somebody who wants to take data off your system, somebody that wants to use it for a command and control relay. You're not really uh, there to be detected. They want to get in your box, they want to persist, and they want to be able to use its resources without you ever even noticing, and ideally without your hosting provider ever noticing. And they're not really there to be destructive. They're not necessarily, it's like the early DOS and Windows viruses were destructive, but then later on they figured out there's more money to be made by keeping the system alive and hiding their presence. So, if you had a system that was impermanent like this, where every reboot, it's a clean slate, that probably takes care of a lot of issues. Not everything, but a lot of issues. So let's test it. We're going to give our live audience root login or pseudo login with access to the box. We have got HedgeDoc running on this system, an absolutely critical web app 
that we use every single day for every show that gets produced and for internal notes. It is a real-time collaborative markdown document editor, the best of the best. And we have that running on this system. And our hope is that after our live stream totally trashes this place, without deleting the file systems, without deleting boot files, but can do anything else, we can recover this. Is there any other caveats you want to put on it, Wes, or does that cover it? It's kind of made possible by the fact that uh, Nick's only really needs like the boot files in place for the firmware and all the you know the stuff before it to get the kernel booted and then it needs access to the nix store so don't delete the boot partition or the nix partition yeah but otherwise if you want to add new partitions or yeah i think pretty much anything else can be fair game applications yeah your own user account yeah don't crash the box for other people too but all right chat room Let's go for it. You're off. We have given them a login in our live Matrix chat room. We'll check back in here in a minute and see how bad they've destroyed the box. So, Wes, what's the process of getting NixOS to be not just immutable, but to be impermanent? Is this just add a line to the config? Is there additional software you had to go? Did you have to jump into Flakeland? How hard was that? Uh, well, uh, I don't think Flakes definitely aren't strictly needed, but... Uh, some of the tooling, like NixOS Anywhere, is, uh, is a pretty flake-forward tool. Um, and you can use the NixOS Impermanent stuff as a flake. So flakes work fine, but the classic way works works fine, too. The biggest change, like, so if you start with a system where you're, you know, you've got it installed and set up on whatever provider, you know, in your virtual machine environment, you probably have a formatted root partition. Maybe you've done more partitions, but we'll just assume a, a simple setup with, like, a boot partition and a root partition that's the rest of it. You need somewhere where your Nix store is, because that's where all the files of consequence uh, are going to live. That's where the, the system closure lives. That's where all, all, yeah, everything really. But you also have, that's probably shared on, just on your root drive by default. So it's all kind of co-mixed with the rest of the stuff. So you need to put the Nix on its own partition, needs to somewhere that it can live that's separate from the rest of the files on root. Okay. And then you also probably need to separate boot out. I mean, those could be on the same partition or multiple, or you could do this with CFS or ButterFS subvolumes. Not shared with root. Yeah, but you don't want like slash var and Etsy and uh, user and all the rest commingling with uh, slash Nix, uh, at least in terms of how it's actually stored on the underlying disk. All right, we're checking in and our web app is already nuked. They did That took them about uh, 30 seconds. They brought down our web server over there. I wonder, Brent, can you still log into it? Can oh, you jump in? Yeah, let me give it a See try if you here. Can, <laughs> if we can find out what's going on with this poor thing. Uh, and then report back. Right, it looks like room. someone stopped the system D service. That's an easy one. Um, oh, good. So thinking. I started that back up. Chaos. All right. System D's back up. Nice try. Chaos monkeys. <laughs> well, <laughs> they went right for system D. Hey, and with that, our web application is now back up and running. <laughs> nice job, Wes. Didn't even have to uh, flex the immutability <laughs> muscles. Just boom. Restart that system D. You can do better chat room. What do you think the feasibility would be? of actually deploying something like a matrix server using impermanence. Yeah, okay. So there's kind of a couple stages to impermanence. You start with, with um, you know, getting things separated. And then you need something that actually wipes your root setup. Uh, and there's a couple approaches. One is you mount root as a tempfs, which is basically like a RAM file system. Uh, yeah. And that's a, that's a popular one. So it's just like from the start, uh, when an early boot up root gets mounted, it's going to be empty because it's a brand new tempfs. Uh, but there's other some other neat setups that can be pretty nice if you want to use something like ButterFS or ZFS. You can set up your root like subvolume, and then snapshot that in its empty state. And then so just like every time you boot, whatever was on there before, you just roll back that partition or that subvolume to its previous snapshot, and then you're right back to your clean slate. Uh, or you could even have something that manually went and like tried to RM everything in there every boot or before you shut down or whatever. So there's a variety of ways, but you basically end up with a system where as Nix, like as the Nix in it stuff is all getting going, it's going to find an empty root partition. And what's so neat about that is, if you look at like a, a Nix setup, when you look at the command line, it's a little like the kernel command line. It's a little different. You don't see all the all the stuff that you normally kind of see, uh, and you especially don't often see. You can still, but like by default, it doesn't even have the like the UUID or the you know root equals flag to kind of tell it where to go find stuff. It just tells it like what in it it's it's looking for because you can bake yourself an in it rd that already knows for the system uh where all those things are or it can like look by path uh, it's got various clever methods built in um so then it can just like mount the root and then it knows exactly the in it it's going to go from inside the nick store and then the rest is all just like pre-scripted 
by the build system so that it just like it knows which system D it's going to start from from the next door that knows which services they're going to start because they're all built and linked together. Wow. It's putting it all together that fast. Yeah, that's the nice part about the Nick stuff is once you've built the closure, it's all just it's all just ready to go, basically. That gets you the rootless system. That gets you the system where every time you reboot, you don't have any state. But that that can be a little rough if you do need state, because you might still want some stuff. So, uh, Brent, you noticed one consequence of this when you were testing things out for us. So what I noticed uh, was a bit of a different behavior, Wes, uh, and I blamed you instantly, of course, was I had logged in via SSH, and then you had rebooted the machine, you were setting things up, and when I tried to log in again, uh, my system complained that uh, some keys had changed on the other side, and that I needed to kind of, you know, delete the known host from my list and kind of authenticate that part again, because it had appeared to be quite different. And well, this seems like a brand new machine, and I guess in many ways it is. Yeah. Uh, so some of those files that you forget about and that are just going to disappear out from under you are things like, you know, your systemd machine ID or the SSH host keys <laughs> that got generated for your box when it booted the last time. And so some things like that you can live with or work around. But if it really is going to be a longer running machine, you, you probably want to do something about that. And that's where the NixOS impermanence module comes in, because confusingly enough, it's actually there to help you add a little permanence. It seems like a different name change would be nice. I just got booted from SSH here. Do we have All right. Do we we're going to follow problem? up on that. We're going to follow up on that Wes, but we got to do a check in here because the web app's down again. D message is going off like crazy and Brent just got booted out of SSH. So <laughs> things are not looking good on the box. Yeah, I wonder did it did it reboot? Yeah. Let's find yeah. out. Maybe we yeah. need to reboot it. Yeah. Yeah, it might be time. Let's see if it comes back after a reboot. So SSH went down. I wonder if the box itself went down, but this is the test. Well, I'm seeing in the messages here, uh, I think someone ran a NixOS rebuild switch. So I'm, I'm curious if there's a yeah. Nix confident uh, listener trying to, oh, of course. trying to pull the, you know, the rug out from under us here. That's the route I would have gone. Mm -hmm. That is. <laughs> Those are the powerful. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Let's see if we can get it. Uh, oh, Gamma says the box is actually still up. All right, we got to phone a friend and find out if we can get the system back on. What do you think, Wes? Can we get it back? That's well, we're about to find out. <laughs> Let's give it a reboot and find out what happens. Let's do it. It might still, if if Nix OS was involved, it's possible we'll have to boot to an older configuration to get back to where we were. Uh, but we're gonna find out. <laughs> And we're back. <laughs> nice. How hard was it? What did we have to do? Well, thankfully, the system wasn't destroyed too much. Now, obviously, if you make too, you know, th there's a lot of ways to really break this thing. But um, the changes that had been made by the audience weren't enough that we can just roll back to the NixOS generation <laughs> before that and uh, have everything back in action. So I noticed that we had people do a Nix rebuild. We had folks uh, totally destroy SSH and <laughs> just completely reconfigure and change the keys. Uh, we had people nuke systemd on us, and all of that was reversible. Yeah. Now the one thing, if you do make a new Nix OS generation that becomes the primary, that that will change things, right? That's because you're like you're using the Nix tooling to to do what you want, right? And you're doing that with root privileges because we gave them a pseudo privilege so i think and and this method isn't necessarily designed to protect against that right like if you mess up your own nix os config well then that's kind of on you <laughs> but you know if you're going and installing a bunch of services outside of that if you're modif modifying things in place if you're updating user details or uh yeah deleting uh ssh keys that kind of thing then yeah then as long you know as long as the system can still reboot on the linode side of things it'll just come back well done west Payne. I think that's a win. That's I mean, we, we gave a whole chat room of people pseudo access to that box, and they definitely messed it up. System D was cute. That was cute. Wreck and Docker was cute. And breaking SSH was cute. That was all, those were all good ideas, guys. All right. Yeah, I think now, should we turn it over and let them really destroy it? Yeah. What do you want to do? Well, just let's, uh, let's have at it, gang. No limits? No limits nope. now. Yeah. All right. All right. No limits as we round it out. We'll give you a few minutes to totally break it. You should. I killed any scripts and stuff that were going, so there should be uh, folks, and I made sure that the password for Tux is reset again. So you should all hopefully be able to get back in. <laughs> yeah, good luck. 
All right, we'll keep an eye on it, and we'll follow up here in a few minutes and see if they've completely destroyed the box. Collide.com slash unplugged. Go there to support the show and check out the demo. If you work in security, or like me, I used to work in IT. If you work in IT and your company has Okta, you got to listen to this. You've noticed, no doubt, over the past few years, the majority of breaches, hacks, whatever you want to call them, they all have something in common, right? Unfortunately, it tends to be the employees and staff, doesn't it? You know, sometimes a device gets hacked because of unpatched software. Sometimes an employee leaves sensitive data behind, a thumb drive, a laptop, leaks credentials. Sometimes they get their account fished. That stuff's pretty unfortunate. And it's not really their fault. It's not really anything that, you know, they've done wrong intentionally. It's just that the solutions are supposed to prevent these breaches don't really do the job. But it doesn't have to be this way. You see, you can actually have your secure devices that only connect to your apps when they are checked out and approved. That's where Collide comes in. In this world where you're checking before they connect to your systems, fished credentials are useless to hackers because the system's getting validated. And you can manage every OS, even Linux, from a single dashboard. And you can get employees to fix their own security issues through some really clever systems and messaging without having to create more work for IT. You don't have to imagine this. You don't have to pretend this is a real thing that Collide does. It's a device trust solution for companies with Okta. And they ensure that if a device isn't trusted, it doesn't log into your cloud apps. It's really great. And they got a demo at collide.com slash unplugged. Go watch that and support the show. It's collide.com, K-O-L-I-D-E.com slash unplugged. Thank you to everyone who sent us in some feedback. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, kind of collected a few here today. 412 Linux sent us a little note about Linux Unplugged 522. It says, uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to NextDNS. This has been a great parenting tool. Uh, it doesn't matter where the device goes on the network. It's always connected and my configuration always remains. That is nice. I think we had one cautionary cautionary tale about NextDNS, and now we've had a good we've had a couple of good positive. NextDNS made it on our list as an audience recommendation. So thank you, 412. That's that's good to know. I, I didn't really think about it, but the fact that it follows the device is really perfect. Yeah, Linux Unplugged 522 was the privacy episode that we did recently, and we got a few uh pieces of mail for that one. Andreas came in with another privacy tip. Hey, you mentioned something about email privacy, uh, which tickled my fancy in the latest Linux Unplugged regarding personal privacy. I want to share my practice since I think it might be useful to someone. I registered my own domain with domain privacy enabled, of course. On that domain, I have enabled wildcard support as well, so that whenever I register for a new service, I can just enter a custom email address uh, that's unique to it. This is super useful for shipping, detecting data leaks, and personal data being sold and blocking everything from one particular sender if needed. Everything is routed to a sign-up mailbox. So whenever I get an email from someone I don't really know, I can see that the email is there and which email they sent it to. Probably not the most secure platform. I pay for my email service from FastMail since ProtonMail is just too darn expensive for custom domains and wildcards. <laughs> Best regards from Andreas. That's a nice little workflow there. I I I, uh, I like that he's kind of thought through that a little bit better than I have. I think that's an area that I now feel like a little like I haven't really given that proper thought through. Appreciate that feedback, Andreas. Yeah, I've started using uh, I guess what my service provider calls plus addressing to do this very thing, and it confuses some <laughs> local businesses. They're like, "Wait, how how's how's the name of our store in your email address?" <laughs> Which is. <laughs> That happened just the other day. But I appreciate this folder approach. I didn't quite, you know, I've kind of set that in pace, uh, but didn't quite know how to manage it in a way that was going to be obvious. So uh, thanks for the tip. I like uh, Sid's got a project on his hands. He writes, I'm getting my first home lab machine this Tuesday. Oh, how exciting. It's a Lenovo ThinkCenter i5-6400T. I'm planning on running Image plus Pi-hole and a few other things on it. It has a one nice. terabyte hard drive and a 200 which is i think spinning rust and a 256 gigabyte ssd for backups of my image data i was planning on creating an lvm setup and running daily backups by snapshotting the partition then having restic encrypt and upload things to aws s3 or cloud for cloudflare r2 or storage or whatever what do you guys think about this is this a good way to handle backups so should i maybe consider project stratus instead of lvm uh, and by the way i am writing in from india 
I don't think there's a viable way to get boost here, but I'd love to know if anybody has some tips for that. Love the shows. So two questions in there, really. Uh, he's got a question about backing up and where to go, I think, in there. And then a question about uh, Project Stratus versus LVM. I'm thinking our take on this show is LVM over Project Stratus at this point, right? It's not, I mean, Project Stratus just doesn't seem like it's been a huge hit. You know, I checked in with Alex about this one. He couldn't join us here today, but I thought, you know, I can get a sneaky little note in from him. And I sent him, <laughs> I sent him this uh, piece of feedback and he said, Stratus, no, don't do that. Don't use Stratus. So I think uh, uh, the self-hosted show's opinion is also lining up here. Yeah, it. I think LVM too, it's just so tried and true. Uh, we have a link in here. Speaking of Alex, it is perfectmediaserver.com. And he goes through a storage stack and he also goes through a backup stack. The 321 backup methodology applied to different offsite backups. Definitely give that a read. We'll put that in the show notes so you can get directly to the backup section. I think the key part you're talking about here is like kind of approach. Like if if you think Stratus is the right thing that you need because it has the feature set that other solutions sure. don't or it mm-hmm. meets your needs for other ways, then okay. I mean, check it out. Look at the documentation. Play with it. See if you feel comfortable using it. But if you're just looking for sort of a rough level of the things it offers, uh, yeah, it feels like it's, it's probably the, the niche case, the least tested, the least well-known and if you have to ask, probably better to use something that's a little more standard. I think I have a question here about methodology. Like uh, it seems backing up the entire partition is the approach here. But considering, you know, it's image and pie hole and do you really need to go that far? Can you just do like a file based backup or a block based backup instead of the entire partition? Good point. Yeah, I don't really know why you'd want to back up pie hole. You could back up the config. Or you could, you know, I mean, maybe there's something in pie hole you'd want, but image I'm worried about, he's got a one terabyte storage drive and a 256 gigabyte SSD. And I'm just worried that image is going to eat that. Not right away, but it's a silent eater, right? Because every picture you're taking on a modern smartphone is huge. And every video you're taking is like generally 4K video now, and they're huge. <laughs> so uh, you can very quickly just accidentally fill up your disk. So that's something I think you're going to want to keep an eye on. And I think, Brent, you've just tuned into something there too. Why are you backing up the whole dang partition? Maybe you got a reason. But we would postulate to you that you just consider backing up the data. I will say the 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 more fancy you get on the backup side in terms of like just picking and choosing or, you know, then you do need to have an equivalent reverse step in your restore process, right? So like if you only back up the data, then you got to reset up the stuff to get PyHole running, but then load that data in. So I could see if you're just starting out and you're like, you know that you've got this, it's not going to move servers or it's going to be on roughly the same hardware. At least if you do the whole thing, you know you've got everything inside it. You can go grab those files even if you don't restore that whole partition. So I think it's a nice, safe sort of like you can start there uh, and then you can whittle things away, op- more optimize, uh, want to play with it, or as long as you, once you've got, you know, you've got tested backups and then you have some room to, to modify it. It's a good tip. I want to make a little mention that Podverse has a bounty out there. We'll get into the boost and then we'll uh, follow up and see how destroyed our server is. So Podverse, one of our favorite podcasting 2.0 apps, it's GPL, it's cross-platform, they've got a web version. They've announced a bounty of $1,200 to anyone who can deliver them a finished version of Android Auto for Podverse. They really want to get across the line. They got CarPlay nailed. The Android Auto is tricky. And so they're willing to uh, put up a $1,200 bounty for that. I'll link to their GitHub, Podverse, P-O-D-V-E-R-S-E. They're also, that's the player that we use on the new community-built Jupyter Broadcasting website, too. We like it a lot because it's a web player that supports chapters. So we'll have information about that. And hopefully someone in the community can help Podverse get Android Auto going because I think that's kind of like the ma- the last major piece that people are really missing in terms of overall app functionality. And it'd be great to get them across the line for that. Boostagram. We got some boosts this week. Tomato Deer came in with a big old baller boost for us. 333,333 sats. Hey, Richard! Coming in with Breeze, actually, and uh, he wanted to send us an email and uh, put it on our radar. And Brent, you have broken it all down for us. It is. uh, It came in via email because it is quite an email. I will say, though. Uh, so let let me let me just make it a short version. So uh, let's see. Sometime in 2015, I discovered Docker and my self hosting journey really took off, as many folks. So in about, uh, now that's 2023, I rebuilt my server, got a bunch of ZFS mirrors and 
managing over 2,000 articles in Wallabag and uh, successfully migrating that instance across a few versions of Postgres in the process. Unfortunately, a recent upgrade that included Postgres 15 broke my Wallabag. Oh, shucks. I've been using a custom-made, unmaintained Wallabag Docker image for years, and I have totally borked that setup from the beginning, not really understanding the finer points of containers. My suspicion is the database driver that Wallabag employs cannot speak Postgres 15. I've not upgraded, and uh, things are just going bad. So, I am boosting to post a bounty to the JB community. 300,000 sats to get a NixOS config for Wallabag 2.3.8 behind Nginx and Postgres 14. And further bounty may follow, given how incompetent I am. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, I also will, uh, Jay from uh, Philadelphia, I'll send you to the Nix nerds chat room in our matrix too. There's a lot of helpful people there. I know somebody out there has this working though. So you may, you may, somebody may uh, cash in on this bounty in self-hosted 102. We talked really recently about Wallabag and I heard from a bunch of folks that are, are self-hosting it after that episode. So I bet you'll find somebody. And thank you for the baller boost. We really, really appreciate it. And it's been a while since I've seen somebody coming in on Breeze, but that's pretty great. Cyber Gray boosts in with 46,912 sats. I hoard that which your kind covet. I don't know if the previous boost went through, so I'm sending this one too. Thanks again. <laughs> Cheers. Well, thank you, Cyber Gray. I guess not. I don't see another one. Uh, so thanks for trying again, because it'd be a shame not to have heard from you. Yeah, we appreciate the support. Active Shadow came in with 35,000 sats using Fountain. He said, I wanted to say hi and do my part to keep supporting this great show and Jupiter Broadcasting in general. Thanks for everything you all do for open source. Well, thank you very much, Active Shadow. We really appreciate it. Complete Noobs came in with 33,333 Satoshis. It simply says, uh, hey, karma from completenoobs.com. That's a great domain. There's not very many good .coms left. I want to know how long you've owned that, Complete Noobs. Was that an early snipe? Or did you uh, just recently score a .com that's that awesome? That's a rare thing these days. Todd from Northern Virginia comes in with a row of McDucks, 22,222 sats from the podcast index. Things are looking up for old McDuck. My favorite part of Linux Unplugged is when Chris pulls out his soapbox. That's worth a row of ducks right there. <laughs> <laughs> careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, be careful. I saw this boost come in earlier this week, and it had me chuckling, so thank you for that. Eric Boosin with 22,222 sats. This old duck still got it. Huge shout out to Tailscale. I've been using Tailscale with Headscale for a while now, and it's been working great, and I really love it. With NixOS, I configured Headscale and AdGuard with custom DNS. With a split DNS where the AdGuard DNS has the home internal IP address, and the head scale DNS has the tail scale IP, and it works great. Brilliant. That's really clever. Also, during the pandemic, we had to set up a VPN to secure access to our internal services. Well, the person who implemented it really liked OpenVPN, and this was pre-tail scale pricing V2. Since he was implementing it, I gave up on using WireGuard-like solutions. Well, this past week, it stopped working and he's now gone. <laughs> Funny it wasn't that certs or anything obvious, but it was a huge productivity loss. So we ripped it out and put Tailscale. It's now easier to understand, and I finally understand how to write a proper ACL with Tailscale. <laughs> Looking forward to managing those in my personal deployment next. That is fantastic. You know, we, we're really talking seriously about how are we going to integrate Tailscale with our backend. And just as we spin up a system, it just becomes part of the Tailnet. And each one of us would have an ac have access to that tailnet in theory and then be able to get to any of those systems through that tailnet. And uh, there's more and more ways now to just deploy a system and it just basically has tail scale ready to go out of the box. We're spoiled for mesh VPN options. You also got stuff like Nebula and various others. And yeah, right. Like if you, if you have any use for a mesh network at this point, the, there's no reason not to have one. And it really yeah. does make things simpler. Good choices out there. The Leaky Canoe came in with 21,949 sats. Hey, got any tips for learning file and directory permissions in Linux? I just emptied the Albi wallet, so please excuse the odd numbers. And cheers to a great show. You know, there used to be a great website tool for this. I wonder if I could find this or if anybody knows of it, but it was, 
it was an interactive app to learn what the different permission settings did. And I, I don't know if I remember the name of it, but it was a really handy tool. Yeah, I know there's a few good ones. I found a decent one just here quick, Chamad Calculator. You can kind of just like mm. check the boxes and it'll show you the final uh, octal form. That could be a good way to learn. You might just want to play around in the in the shell too, you know, get make yourself a, a temp directory where you can play around and then uh, use Chamad with the, the non, you know, just start playing with it. You can use stat to figure out what the octal version is pretty easily yeah, uh, and see what you can or can't access or what you can do to files. You also, you don't have to use octal numbers with Chamad if you don't want to. You could actually do like user is read, write X group is read, write, and you can actually spell it out in natural language. That'll all be in the man page. And that also is another way to learn what those numbers mean is you can do it with like natural language. And then over time, you can see, okay, I set that, do an LS. What numbers did I get? That's another way you could play without even going to a website. It's not often we say this on the show, but with Chamad and Linux permissions, the man page is probably a really good place to start. It actually probably is. Uh, it's something that is simpler than it seems on the surface. When you come at it from Windows, NTFS has what's considered by us Linux users, extended attributes with lots of different permissions and attributes you can do and ownership models. Standard Linux, like extended for permissions without extended attributes, are really simple. It's user, group, and world, and that's really all you have to worry about. But you'll figure it out and follow up, Leaky Canoe. I think that's a, a great thing to wrap your head around. Yeah, you're on an exciting journey, and there's lots of fun stuff to learn. Mm-hmm. BAMHIM182 comes in with 21,226 sets from Podverse. I'm finally sending a zip code boost after giving up several times <laughs> of getting the JB membership. Thanks for your courage, guys. I've fallen deep down the NixOS rabbit hole, and I absolutely love it. I've converted almost every box I have at this point, around 10, ranging from old Chromebooks to routers and my Threadripper NAS. My last bastion is my Home Assistant VM on Proxmox. Oh, fun. Soon. All right, do you, you bring the map with you, Wes? I sure did. I don't go anywhere without it. Yeah, a boy. All right, so let's look up this zip code and figure out where he's at. Which doesn't really make sense, because like, I need a West Coast map, and turns out here I needed a map of Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, hello, Baltimore. Thanks for boosting in. Thanks for boosting in, and thank you. I, I'm just loving, I mean, NixOS adds to the top, but just these reports of the, you know, hearing more about all the all the fun home and production setups. Keep it coming, folks, because this has been great. Nev Busin with 9,001 sats. Say, whatever happened to that email server you guys talked about? Is it still rocking and working, or did you take it all down? I've been honestly considering hosting my own email for some DIY notifications. The number one rule of Linux Unplugged is you don't talk about the email server. You don't talk about the email server. Yeah, we did set one up. And it is actually still running. I don't think it's how we would set it up today, though, right, Wes? It's <laughs> well, it didn't use Nix at all. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> no, I uh, we have an account or two on there too. We probably should shut that thing down. Honestly, we should probably just yeah. You know, it was it was worthwhile. I think it's been you know we have like done a few updates here and there, uh, so it is all ticking along. But we didn't really adopt it, and maybe we should check back in and see. See what it would be like. What if we wanted to convert it to Nix? Yeah. How much work is it? Because I think it was not an insignificant amount of work. But on the other hand, if we weren't trying to use it as like a full replacement for stuff, you know, like so if Nev's just trying to set something up that's going to be for DIY notifications and doesn't need all the guarantees of like, I need my spouse's email to not bounce, you know, like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. like, there's different problem domains there. And especially with something like Nix, where you didn't have to worry so much about getting all the, the state and the ordering right. It maybe it'd be reasonable. It might be a fun. It might be a fun project. Also, we've just been curious what happens if you leave it online, tend to it a little bit. You know what happens to an email server like that in the modern era? And so far, it's it's surviving. So that's good. One thing that hasn't survived, it seems, is our uh, live box here. I just got booted, and it seems like oh, Craftnix no. has uh, owned up <laughs> oh, to the geez. problem in the chat room, saying, uh, "I think I may have accidentally removed Tux from the wheel group." So, uh oh, we'll find out. We'll follow up here in just a second. Just a couple more boosts to round us out. SWAT 2317 sats. Wes, um, I'm okay in your pronunciation from the previous episode and wonders if we use openstreetmaps.org very often, you know, with its wiki like contributions. We all kind of use it with various different apps on our mobile devices. Oh, true. Yeah. But not much on the web on the desktop. I, I occasionally use it on the desktop. 
my favorite way to get to it because it's such a long URL is to just use uh, DuckDuckGo's like um, quick bang shortcuts. Do you guys know about these? You go bang OSM and it just brings you straight to OpenStreetMap. You can even do a search in there as well. It's one of my favorite. It's like a launcher for the web. I really, really enjoy that. One of my complaints with OpenStreetMap, at least on the web like that, is often when they're showing you maps of a place, especially with provinces and stuff, I find their delineations between various, you know, counties and things like that really hard to distinguish. So I find sometimes the, I don't know, map colors and contrasting sort of difficult sometimes. So if I'm looking for a broad overview of something, I can sometimes be a bit of a struggle. So that that keeps me occasionally from going there to get uh, that kind of stuff. All right, I'll round us out with a couple of more so we can get to that server update. Uh, Root is good came in. <laughs> With 10,000 sats, maybe a rolling distro is what is needed for the year of Linux on the desktop. It'd be pretty difficult for Windows or Apple to compete. And the Golden Dragon came in with a whole bunch of boosts. Five boosts, 11,110 sats. And in here, he had a question. He said, uh, I'm looking into a hotel router for a trip. Would I need to run an exit node at home? And how easy is that to achieve? He's talking about tail scale there. And I think that's really going to depend on if you have the resources you want to access if that box is running Tailscale itself or if it's on a system that isn't running the Tailscale client. If you have a system you want to get access to remotely using Tailscale that isn't running the software, then you just, one of the boxes on that same LAN, turn that into an exit node. But it'll depend on the application that uh, you want to uh, get access to. Like Jellyfin, you could probably just run Tailscale directly on the server. Mm-hmm. We got a row of ducks from Batvin123 coming in with Podverse. He said, I, had, I heard the Golden Dragon had suggested a 3D printed LUP coin. Indeed. I've got a UV resin-based 3D printer and a standard plastic 3D printer. I or someone else could design a coin that combines the two technologies. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. I, I like that this is... get Keep this rolling, guys, because this is something that I, I'm not getting going on my own, but I very much support. Do we need samples? Yeah. we got. Well, of course, we got to do quality inspection. Okay. <laughs> well, so Brent's going to have to do a little QA, you know. <laughs> uh, Fer- Faraday Fedora came in with a several boosts, 6,000 sats in total. Coming in hot! Uh, and he relayed uh, my question on total, like how hot, how hot did you get your home lab? He said this weekend it was getting up to 34 C in my home office lab. Um, yikes. <laughs> you can use it to uh, proof his bread though. He uh, had it even hotter in there in the 2021 heat dome, but he turned off his stuff. I'm still curious how hot people get their home labs and if they worry about it. Noodles 1232 came in with 10,001 sats. He said, you guys called out for how hot you've run your gear here in Fresco, California. It regularly gets above 100 in the summer, so it daily can be 85, 90 in the house. Power costs so much more during the hot times of the day, so I can't really turn my AC on much. Running low-power hardware helps quite a bit since it kicks off less heat. It all works great, though. I haven't really had any performance issues, even when the ambient temps are in the 90s. All right. Very good to know. I'm still not like once it gets above 85, I'm still I'm still shutting it down. I'm t- I'm still turning stuff off. The node I've left on, so the node's been like a 90 degree, and it still runs, but I've shut every- everything else off. Yeah, that makes sense. Paz boosted in 5,000 sats from Podverse. Hey JB crew, a longtime listener and first time booster here. JB really changed my life professionally and personally. More on that in a future coder radio boost. Keep up the good and inspiring work. Well, thank you, sir. I'm looking forward to that. I appreciate the support and you listening. Moon and Night boosts in with 5,000 sats. Re last episode's discussion about NFC payments after switching to giraffing. I switched from iOS and the Apple Watch, where I had Authy 2FA and NFC payments, credit cards, transit passes, all on the watch itself. Turns out the watch doesn't need an active internet connection or an iPhone after initial setup. I switched fully to Giraffing OS a few months back and still use NFC payments on my Apple Watch almost daily. Occasionally, I'll boot up the old iPhone to add new 2FA keys, but that's all I need it for. Hmm, that's kind of a fascinating little middle ground. I like it. I have been hanging on to the Apple Watch for iMessage. I never really thought about using it for payments. It just seems so silly, like holding my watch up to the payment terminal, but... I also feel ridiculous when I do it with my phone. So one ridiculous for the other. That's probably a fair trade, I suppose. I I am going to cut a little short so we can follow up on the server. But don't worry, if we didn't get to your boost in the show, we have it in our show doc and we have read it 
as a team. And we really appreciate the support. We had 24 boosters. You know, I like radical transparency on this now. That in total was 30 boosts. Thank you. I mean, it's incredible that out of tens and tens and tens of thousands of listeners, 24 people stepped up and helped made the production sustainable and possible for this episode. We brought in a total of 611, 870 sats, which is fantastic. Woo. Thank you, everyone. We'd really appreciate to sustain that support for the next episode. We always love getting your feedback, your notes, and your questions that way. If you want to boost in and you don't want to switch podcast apps, go get Albie. Get Albie.com. You top that off with a cash app, or they got actually a couple options directly in Albie now to top it off. You get the sats and you go over to Podcast Index, podcastindex.org. Find the Unplugged program and you boost in over there. Or go get a new podcast app at podcastapps.com. Podverse, Fountain, Castomatic, Breezes listed over there. You heard some of the names this week. Those are the ones our audiences are picking. And uh, they're getting all kinds of great new experiences in there as well. Newpodcastapps.com or podcastapps.com. And of course, thank you to our members, unpluggedcore.com, for supporting the show directly and the Jupiter Party. Boost! Thank you, everybody, who boosts into the show. Now... Why don't we uh, check in on that server, West Payne, and uh, see what's going on? It sounds like it's been trashed because we've got reports of everything getting wrecked. Uh, I think some things got wrecked, but I just rebooted it, and I'm back <laughs> in. Ha ha! It looks like HDocs is running, too. I think uh, probably I think it lost. We might have lost what was in the persistent stuff as part of what people were doing. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, the server is online, at least yep. partially. There's our web app. That's impressive. Wow. And we just let them go hog wild this time too. Oh, the logs I saw stream by, they were scary. Yeah. Very scary. <laughs> Many. A lot of error messages oh, in there. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's It's been fun. Uh, Gamma's been, been hacking away here and, and Gamma was take, trying to take a look at just ways to like maintain persistent, uh, you know, persistent access to the box and uh, reports that, you know, the impermanent stuff did remove uh, them adding keys to the root authorized keys file you know so that's one thing you can add that it'll be there for as long as it's online but then once you reboot and things go back to the way you've configured the system that drops out it's pretty neat that is a pretty hardcore test we just put that system through i'll give a shout out to a package from soltros who contacted me via matrix he's created the nix package management script i haven't tried this myself it's a python script he designed to just kind of help assist with managing packages in nix he says it provides a set of functions that allow you to perform package-related tasks, installing, removing, searching for packages, listing installed packages, updating the Nix config, and rebuilding the system configuration. It's nixpkg.py. We'll have a link in the show notes. It's created by a fellow community member to help just manage your software on Nix. It's pretty nice. Yeah. So after going through this experience, Wes, do you feel pretty solid about using Nix in production? What about in permanence? Uh, yeah, you know, you'd probably want the folks uh, maintaining the system to be familiar with Nix because you really do need, need Nix to to do, you know, to make use of the system. And if you're not going to delete the boot stuff like Nix, as Craft Nix has been playing with, is the easiest way to actually break stuff, right? Because you can get Nix to, to write a new config that locks the old stuff out or just like never brings up networking or boots in the least successful way possible. So that there's lots of ways to, to, to bork it via Nix. I think it depends on what you need, how much you have a problem with like long stateful servers and like, right, do you write stuff? If you're already using, you know, Ansible or tools like that, they're not. If you're good at writing your documentation, you, maybe it's less, uh, less successful. And is your team setting the box up with impermanence in mind, with the data separation in mind, with the, with putting Nick store on its own partition, the separating the boot stuff. Are you designing the system with impermanence in mind? That's probably got to be a requirement. Right. Um, it is, I think it does seem like a really nice way, especially since it's not like, you know, with the, with the impermanence module, you basically just tell it like, here's all the files I want you to make permanent. And then it uses uh, like mounts and bind mounts and such to, to set that all up for you. So like it manages making it appear in the system as it should. So it's a pretty low overhead, at least for like things like, you know, relatively simple and static files to get that made permanent. So it might be a nice way to have a default because it just it just forces you to remember that you got to put that stuff into Nix if you want it to be if, to to last. So even when you're yes. trying to do something quick and dirty and just make it work, uh, you know you can make it work for that time, but you know that it's gonna disappear no. if you don't do it for right. For it to stick around, you got to do it the right way, which isn't necessarily a bad thing at all. Yeah, and you know the philosophy sounds great. What is it like in practice? So far, it's surprisingly workable. Yeah, I mean. I, we really put it in the fire. Thank you, everybody who showed up live and really banged on this box and made it a lot of fun. We appreciate you joining us. If you'd like to show up live 
for a Linux Unplugged in the future. We do it on Sundays traditionally at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll always have that in your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. If you go to jblive.tv, we've got our self-hosted PeerTube instance embedded and ready to go. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. And of course, we'll have links to all the stuff we talked about, documentation that goes into more detail on impermanence, the tricks and tools we've covered. That'll all be at linuxunplugged.com slash 524. And there is a plethora, a whole network of shows over at jupiterbroadcasting.com, like self-hosted. We mentioned that. And of course, Office Hours is undergoing a radical experimentation. We encourage you to check that out. And don't miss a single episode of Coda Radio. There's always some great takes in there. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for hanging out with us for this episode. We really enjoyed it. We hope you did too. And we hope to see you right back here for another Linux Unplugged next Sunday. <laughs>